Chapter Fourteen of One Commonplace Day by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fourteen: Laborers Together. Did you go to housekeeping as soon as you were married, John? Yes, he had. John remembered the little house on Whitesboro Street. It had been a wonderful descent from the large and handsome one on Genesee Street, but it was cosily furnished, and Annie was its mistress, and he had been proud of it and had meant to reform all his wild ways, and to make her happy in it. None of this did he say to Miss Wainwright. He merely answered her briefly, even gruffly. "'Yes,' she said, "'I know the street well, and I dare say you traded at Parker's, and were as proud as anything when the delivery wagon brought home your first stock of groceries and vegetables.' "'Yes, John remembered that.' Was there nothing connected with his past that was not to be photographed for him that day? Well, now, John, I wonder if you wouldn't like to play up old times. You have worked faithfully today, and I was thinking of paying you in vegetables and poultry and milk and eggs and butter. I have hosts of those things, you know, and I like to exchange them for labor. But it would be too much for you to think of carrying. I see my man who takes care of the horses has just got around, and if you like, I will have him harness and deliver the goods at your door, just as it used to be done, and that will give your wife a happy surprise. Come now, John Hartzell, am I mistaken in you, do you suppose? Don't you want to be a man again? You have been nothing but a street loafer for so long that I thought maybe you had forgotten you were ever anything else. But I have seen several times today that you haven't. Make a big effort now and come back to manhood." John Hartzell returned Miss Wainwright's steady gaze and spoke gravely. "'You think, maybe, that I haven't tried. I can tell you that I have made fifty thousand promises and broken them all. I cannot let the stuff alone which has been my ruin. The taste of it was born with me.' "'Exactly so,' said Miss Wainwright promptly. "'And the love of sin in some form is born with me.' What you and I have to do is to assert our rights and say that we will not be slaves to sin. Come, I don't want to argue with you. You don't need it. You are smart enough to think of a hundred things that I might say. What I want you to do now is to start again. Make that wife of yours happy tonight. I don't suppose you have really done anything to make her happy in a long time. And yet I dare say you meant to be all the world to her when you promised you would." She did not say much more. It did not seem to her wise to talk. She wished with all her heart that there was some way to shield John Hartzell from his enemy on his homeward way. If it would only do for her to walk downtown with him, she would be more than willing. He had agreed to the being paid in farm produce, and she had seen a flash of something like what, if she had known it, was the old fire in his eyes when he heard her direction to the man. Peter, you are to harness Doll to the market wagon, and deliver whatever is in it to the third house from the corner on Varley Street. Hartzell is the name. You are to tell whoever comes to the door that Mr. John Hartzell ordered them brought there. Do you understand? Why, yes, Peter understood, but his eyes were as wide open as Keziah's, and he took off his hat and ran all his fingers through his hair in astonishment and here miss wainwright felt that her power must end she could see no way to safely shield the poor tempted man during his homeward walk 
whether he would reach home a sober man or a beast she had no means of knowing she could think of no excuse for being his companion that would not be too apparent to cover her design she must ask the lord to go with him and be his shield and yet none knew better than she that john hartzell could limit the power even of the lord if he chose not to be shielded to show you the ways which the master has of supplementing the work of his servants i must let you hear a bit of conversation which was being held in the post office that same afternoon one of the distributing clerks who was leisurely finding their proper niches for the last package of letters paused wonderingly over one address then burst into laughter look here mclean he shouted to that young man who was making out a money order here is a letter addressed to john hartzell esq do you know any such individual that old fellow who reels around the streets and does nothing but drink is the only john hartzell in town or in the country as far as i know do you suppose he would recognize himself if he should see his name written in this fashion young mclean hurriedly made the last flourish to the paper delivered it to the waiting messenger then came out from his corner to see the curiosity john hartzell esq no mistaking the name for the writing was plain as well as elegant a man's hand but the hand of one accustomed to such writing no sharp corners to the curves and the flourish which wound all about the capital h was deemed worthy of study by the clerk who prided himself on his fine writing poor wretch the younger man said as he turned to place it in the h niche i am afraid that will lie among the uncalled fors until the mice claim it as their special property the fellow never comes to the office i don't suppose he ever received a letter in his life hadn't he delicate cream-laid paper envelopes in the latest style and tint perfumed with the choicest lavender if these young men had but known somewhat of that other man's past it might have made them more pitiful it is never safe to judge of any man by his condition after alcohol has made him its slave but lloyd mclean was thinking that pretty kate hartzell and the talk which was had after she came up the cliff there was something about a brother and his name was john he was silent recalling bit by bit the words of kate and of mr durant and then of josie fleming and his own disgust over her rudeness he held out his hand for the letter and asked a question who is this john hartzell where did he come from i never heard of him until the other day why he is old joe's son you have seen old joe stagger by well john is a chip off the old block only more so he will be a worse drunkard than his father if he lives long enough they came from somewhere in new york followed the father you know though what there is about him to follow would be difficult to tell john has only been here two or three months and his sole occupation is to drink so far as i can learn i wish new york could be made to support its own paupers after it has made them let me have the letter said lloyd i will try to get it to the man pooh said the other what's the use nevertheless he relinquished the letter of course for lloyd was his superior in office so it happened that two hours later lloyd mclean stood on the steps of mcallister's store waiting for eben bruce when he heard one man say to another what's going to happen there goes old hartzell's son sober 
I have hardly seen that since he has been here. He won't get past Minnows sober, said the other. The old fellow is out on the steps now watching for bait. A drunkard who is sober has generally been at work somewhere, and may have a stray dime in his pocket, and Minnow is as sharp as the next one when he scents money. Then both gentlemen laughed. Lloyd turned eagerly in the direction in which they were looking, and saw a shabbily dressed man with a hard-looking hat. But it was set squarely on his head, and his step was steady. Lloyd had no knowledge of the conflict going on in the man's mind. He, too, knew that he was to pass minnows. He had not been strong-willed enough to go the other way, and so avoid it. I do not know that it would have made much difference if he had. It would have been a difficult matter in Eastwood to have avoided saloons, though some of them were not quite so low as minnows. There were no dimes in John's pocket. Miss Wainwright's prudence had managed that and there was in John's mind a weak and feeble inclination toward going home sober, and seeing what his wife would say to the messenger from Miss Wainwright's farm. The resolve had been strong when he left the farm, with the earnest woman's earnest words ringing in his ears. But it grew feebler with every step. He had not been trained to self-control. It is true there were no dimes, but there were apples, great, red-cheeked beauties, such as grew nowhere save on Miss Wainwright's farm. Minnow the rum-seller was a very loving father. He would have no objection to dealing out a glass of poison to a man in return for two choice apples apiece for each of his four children. John Hartzell did not believe he could pass Minnow's saloon. "'Hartzell!' called a clear, ringing voice, and John paused and looked around inquiringly. I have something for you. Wait a minute. And Lloyd McLean exchanged a few words with the clerk, who now appeared from inside the store, then dashed across the road. Your name is John Hartzell, I believe. I am in the post office, and there was a letter for you in this afternoon's mail, so I pocketed it to hand to you when I got a chance. A letter for me. John Hartzell spoke slowly, as one bewildered, and held out his hand mechanically to receive the white messenger. John Hartzell, Esquire. The plain, elegant writing, or the name, or the association, or something, sent a flush over his face, and, unconsciously, he straightened himself and threw back his shoulders. Lloyd smiled. He liked the effect of his thoughtfulness. Minnow shan't get a hold of the fellow to-night, he said, and he turned and walked behind him not close enough to appear to be following, yet close enough to hear Minnow presently say, "'Hello, John. Been at work today? Come in and have something.' But John Hartzell had already broken the seal of the strange letter, and was deep in the midst of the first page, and neither saw nor heard Minnow. And the letter! Why, the inside was more bewildering than the outside. It commenced, "'My dear Hartzell, old chum, how are you?' If I had only known, those two days which I spent in Eastwood, that you were in the same town, how quickly I would have sought you out! Why, man, what are you about? You must surely have recognized the name of Scott Durant, and remembered your old friend? I only heard of you the night I was obliged to leave, and then, my boy, I heard no good of you. John, you are travelling a road I have been over, and I came near to the bitter end. 
you are not as far gone as i was and i am saved therefore there is a chance for you and my object in writing you to-night is to beg you not to wait until you reach the point that i did because i am only one out of ten thousand who ever turns back from that the letter was long page after page was hurriedly run through by the man who still slowly made his way through the town passing saloon after saloon in safety though more than one proprietor judged from his appearance that john had some money and invited him in one of them laid a hand familiarly on his shoulder but he shook it off with an irritable let me alone he had just reached the spot in the letter where durant his old friend was telling about how he reached one night the point where he had resolved to rid the world of his own worthless life john hartzell had almost reached that point himself two or three times it made the perspiration start on his forehead to read from the paper a description of the sensations which had filled his own brain and heart so now you understand much better than the two who ate supper with him how it was that john hartzell succeeded in reaching home that night without having drank a drop of liquor suppose they had known all the steps of that day from the meeting with the boy holly in the morning to the meeting with the young man at evening with the letter that was to shield his homeward walk how they would have exclaimed in awe over it all how sure they would have been that all these apparent trivialities meeting and shaping a destiny could not have happened but must have been arranged by a master hand suppose we knew all the histories of all the happenings of one day with great awe and dismay and terror and gratitude they might fill us according as we had with our little thoughtless words and ways helped or hindered the march of a soul i wonder when the lord's own people will awaken to the fact that there are no trivial things in life that there are no passing moments but what decide the eternal destinies of souls it was while they sat at the table and john ate mechanically what was set before him that miss wainwright's peter knocked as you may well understand john hartzell had not come home hungry his first question got anything to eat referred to others than himself for the first time in at least months he thought of the needs of others and wished that his wife could have had such a supper as he had eaten he thought too of the silver knife and fork and the great fine napkin annie had been used to such things it was kate who opened the door to peter's knock and peter always respectful took his hat quite off his head to the neat young woman so entirely unlike anything that he had seen on the flats before is this mr hartzell's place ma'am then these things are to be left here he said where will you have them carried and peter turned to the well-stocked wagon and shouldered a sack of flour no ma'am there is no mistake mr john hartzell ordered them here ma'am they are to pay for his day's work peter's voice came in distinctly to those two who sat opposite each other at the table annie hartzell dropped her knife and looked up into her husband's face trembling flushing like the girl of seventeen whom he remembered oh john she said did you have you and then she stopped and laid her head on the table and burst into tears her husband rose up from his chair and came over to her annie he said 
and the perspiration stood in drops on his face. Kate closed the kitchen door, herself outside. "'Pile them here,' she said to Peter. "'Outside, on the ground, anywhere. I will take them in afterward.' And Peter, wondering, disapproving, silently obeyed. A bag of potatoes, a sack of flour, a little jar of butter, two chickens, a pail of eggs, a pail of milk, a bag of apples. What a day's work it must have been! Kate saw, and did not see, her heart beating wildly, not over the treasures which had come to the hungry home, but over the possible scene behind that shut door. One verse sang in her heart, What hath God wrought? Had she known, she might have rejoiced her heart with another. We are laborers together with God. He had many laborers, and he had made use of more than one of them that day. As for Lloyd McLean, he went home with quick springing step, his pulses beating. He had made his first conscious effort toward succoring a tempted soul, and the exercise thrilled him. Hang the stuff, he said. I wish there were none of it in the world. John Hartzell would certainly be better off, and so I dare say would Lloyd McLean, though I don't feel in any particular danger of reaching his level. What if I should sign a total abstinence pledge, and get up a temperance furor here, and get John and his father, and a lot of those fellows in? Hurrah! What an excitement! I don't know, but it is worth the effort. End of chapter 14